details. I feel more informed when I listen. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right. You are tuning into the Hrvoje Moric show on TNTradio.live. I'm chatting with, so I'm an American Mexican chatting with a Mexican uh, American, Carlos Abelar, who is an entrepreneur from the west side of San Antonio, Texas, and he's the host of the very cool Los Libertinos podcast, which you can find on YouTube and find him on Twitter at El Libertinos. Como estas, Carlos? No, aquí todo bien. How are you doing, man? What's up, man? What's the word? I'm doing all right. How, how was your breakfast taco? Oh, man, you, híjole. So I don't do breakfast tacos as much as I used to. I'm on this uh, one meal a day kind of diet because uh, it's funny, man. Uh, uh, tacos and me have a uh, interesting relationship. Uh, I eat them and my stomach just gets bigger, man. So uh, I can't really do too many of them. But when I do, uh, you know, I go pretty hard on them. But uh, uh, this weekend, for sure, we definitely hit barbacoa and uh, big red tacos. Uh, it's a it's a, uh, we actually have a fest here in San Antonio called Barbacoa and Big Red, where uh, for anybody that doesn't know who Barbacoa is, it's basically the cow head. And uh, in Mexico, I know when I've gone there before, they actually have the cow head out there exposed and they're just getting the, the cheek, the meat from the cheek out and cutting it up on a wood board and they just serve them to you. But over here, they don't do it like that. They just do it a different way, but it's still uh, the same the same idea. But uh, yeah, man, uh, uh, this weekend for sure, Barbacoa Tacos. You know, Mexico has solutions for everything. So if if you got that issue, we can go down to, you know, like the Chiapas, Oaxaca region and, and you can eat some crickets. And then that way you can prepare for the Great Reset. You know, you'll be all you'll you'll be all good to go with that insect protein and uh, bug burgers. But you know, when I first came to Mexico, there was a local my favorite taco guy and uh, they had the all sorts of meats. Right. There's brain, as you said. I know a lot of people who like the tongue. And I, I asked the guy once, you know, the you know to try the tongue taco, and he's because uh, I said that's going to help my Spanish, right? And <laughs> he's like, no, he's like, no, because that was beef from the U.S. You know, so that's an English-speaking cow, not a Spanish-speaking cow. So, um, yeah. Anyways, uh, your, your Los Libertinos podcast is uh, is great. I discovered it just recently, and it's very wide-ranging in themes and topics that you explore. It's fun. You know, how did it get started and how did you fall down the podcast rabbit hole? So that story started in 2010. Uh, so basically uh, around 20 and during the like a lot of people, right? We always got to start off with Ron Paul, right? So during the Ron Paul campaign of 08, I used to uh, call in to talk radio uh, as my strategic way of trying to spread the message. And what I noticed was that uh, you know, I would I would look up the stats of what the talk radio shows were reaching locally, and I was like, "Oh shit! Well, this is more uh, this is a lot way more efficient than standing out like a tonto out there on the highway." So um, I just started calling a lot, you know. And then uh, around 2010, one of the hosts had said he called me, and uh, the producer called me and said, "Hey, do you want to try to come on to this panel that we have weekly?" And, uh, you know, hang out with uh, some of the local like uh, media people, like news editors and uh, some of the politicians, whether they're like DAs or some of the local reps. And to me, I was kind of like, uh, well, shit. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm I'm talking shit about the whole system. And uh, well, why not hang around and see what's up? You know, 
So I was doing that for many, many years uh, where I kind of felt that I didn't have to do a lot of the street uh, campaigning for like the 2012 campaign and stuff like that, because I thought, hey, I'm doing my shit like on, 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 uh, on, um, on the radio. But then uh, when uh, COVID hit, uh, they stopped doing these, these, this, this panel. And I still felt the urge because I would, I would get called in like once a month. And uh, I still had the urge to kind of talk my shit. So um, that's kind of where it started the idea of like, eh, you know what, maybe I'll do a podcast. And uh, instead of uh, coming on to a panel, I might be the, the vato that's interviewing some people. And, and that's kind of the way it started. So I started it last year uh, um, around May. And uh, I'm a little bit over 40 episodes. I try to do episode a week. And uh, basically, yeah, I talk to a lot of cool people. And uh, the idea behind it is that I'm someone that uh, is not what you would consider uh, well-read. Uh, a lot of the podcasts that I like to like jam, uh, or, you know, the, one of the common themes, and uh, maybe it's in, in your mix there too, but it's, you know, I don't got nothing against it. It's like the, the people have like the, their books in their background. Okay, I have no books because I don't read any books because uh, that's just not my thing. I've never been a really good reader to sit down and read books, but I like to listen and I'm a visual person. So I've always uh, liked to uh, watch YouTube videos of people doing interviews and all that. And I always thought what I'm listening to those interviews and, and jamming them, I, I always think, well, of questions that I would ask if I was interviewing them. So then that's kind of what it came up to. So I just started then. The idea came where I got uh, some friends to kind of help me out on the production side, on making an audio, doing all that stuff that it kind of take, takes you some steps to, to, to get into it. And, and then we just were, uh, rolled with it. You know, my uh, first interview was with uh, AJ Van Slyke, who is a former uh, 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 baseball player. And he was in the camps with Peter Schiff and with uh, Tom Woods producer. And, uh, you know, that was my first interview. And my most uh, recent interview was with a, a guy named uh, Brian, who uh, was my wife uh, and I, uh, we uh, got a, a, a vato to be our doula for our first kid, which is kind of uh, different, uh, especially in Latino community to get a doula and especially a vato. But uh, so, yeah, man, I'm a I'm a I'm a freestyle kind of guy. And so that's kind of the vibe of the of the show is it's really to let people that are kind of my style, like like my homies and friends and family to go ahead and tune in and not feel intimidated by the host that might have a PhD in this or, or has written books on that. You know, I'm just talking to them. Like I would talk to them if they were hanging out here on a weekend, watching the, the boxing fights, you know? Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned Ron Paul. Uh, and so I've interviewed a lot of uh, libertarian folks and so many people say that Ron Paul uh, was the one that lit the fire, uh, you know, on their behinds. And I, I would say for me as well, you know, first for me, it was like first going down the 9-11 rabbit hole. But then later, uh, I think he was the only person I voted for uh, as as president because I couldn't stomach anyone else. And so for me too, Ron Paul uh, slapped me upside the head. I wouldn't call myself a libertarian, but there are a lot of libertarian principles that I adhere to, I think that are just universal, you know, like, I don't know who wouldn't want freedom uh, you know what's your world general world view are you would you just label yourself libertarian um i guess if somebody asked me i would just say that i'm like uh pro liberty uh if if somebody really was into uh political terms I, you know I, I really just like to say i'm I, i'm sometimes i'll say like that uh that 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 i'm so far right that i'll end up in the left 
And, uh, you know, uh, my spectrum is big because I feel that since I'm, I try to not be judgmental on the way people live, because uh, I like to give the benefit of the doubt that most people are kind of a, a reflection and a manifestation of how they're raised and where their culture and their upbringing and any trauma or good or bad. Um, I, I like to put myself in people's shoes sometimes so I can understand a lot of point of views. And that's probably why I could interview basically anybody, you know, I mean, uh, uh, that's where that comes from. But yeah, you know, if, if somebody really like uh, asked me, you know, I'll probably just say, oh, I'm libertarian just to kind of uh, a, a short answer. But, uh, you know, you know, I, I, I could jam I can jam all kinds of uh, music, political music. Yeah, that's the that's my philosophy, too. I, I mean, if you go to my, well, uh, on my podcast, like I've talked to everyone and then I've gotten reviews calling me uh, all sorts of names, you know, commie, right winger, uh, so on and so forth. But that's what happens when you try to talk to everyone in a respectful way uh, on your podcast. You cover a lot of sports, but also war, politics, culture, the supernatural uh, economy, empire. And uh, I've, I've got a number of issues I can bring up, but just I'm just curious regarding America or the world. I mean, are there things that are really bugging you, freaking you out or just, um, you know, really of, of uh, interest that you're looking at right now? Um, so the one thing uh, that is my agenda on the show um, is that ever like I, I've never heard anybody say this. So this is my this is my shit. This is my jam. Uh, even when I was on the radio, you know, locally here on talk radio, I would say that I basically want uh, in my lifetime for Texas to win a World Cup before the U.S. or Mexico does. Um, so that's basically my agenda. And I'm focusing uh, strongly on that because it's it's one of my passions. You know, I, I say football is life. I kind of also say that um, if once Americans actually start caring about who the FIFA president is rather than the U.S. president, we'd, we'd uh, stop being the empire and start really being a republic. And, uh, you know, I know it sounds kind of like, ah, what is this guy saying? You know, hey, you know, take take it easy with a tequila, Vato. But, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, I really do believe that, that uh, culturally, um, if we can become a society where we uh, embrace football, um, uh, we would be a better, uh, uh, we would have a better life for everybody. Now, now I know that's a hard ask, especially here in the United States where we call it soccer. Um, I know it's a hard ask, especially when the main, uh, the main sports, uh, uh, you know, football, uh, uh, soccer is not the top one, but that's really what's on my radar. I, uh, I called my state rep and my Texas, uh, house rep today, uh, their offices to get their opinion on, uh, on uh, Texas joining FIFA as a member. Uh, and uh, I didn't get a hold of them, but I got a hold of their, uh, you know, whoever answers the phones. And we had a little conversation and yeah, they had never really heard of the idea of, of, of oh, you, what do you mean? Like you can uh, join the FIFA. I was like, well, yeah, you know, uh, Scotland, Wales, uh, they're part of the UK, uh, England, you know, they're part of the UK, but uh, you know, they have their own national team. So, you know, Texas is part of the United States. Uh, why can't Texas have its own national team? So uh, that's kind of my, my thing. You know, I focus on that and I put that into my show. Um, and also the idea of, uh, of boxing. 
uh, into my show too that the that that I really believe that um, I like to say that uh, boxing is the sport of sovereigns uh, asking the state permission to kill each other without consequence. And so I'm, I don't say that I'm anti-war. I really just say that I'm against state-sponsored war. But if two vatos weigh the same, all agree, whatever, they get in the ring, they want to go to war, you know what? I'll sit front row to that shit because uh, that I respect. So I, I had no idea what you just said about Texas being able to join. Um, so I, uh, you're, you're teaching me things now. I'm not. I don't follow sports too closely. Only when it's like the World Cup and it's my my three countries that are uh, competing. But I actually first heard about you uh, a couple of months ago, or not not too long ago, when my friend James Guzman pointed out a, a tweet that you made um, regarding the announcements that the 2026 World Cup was coming to North America where matches will be played in Canada, the U.S., and in Mexico and Mexico City, Guadalajara, and uh, Monterrey. And I, 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 I guess you were half joking, half serious. I'm not sure that this was uh, you know, a way to promote the North American Union. But I was having that same thought, but very seriously, because I've been studying that for over a decade. And, and I believe I, I conducted the last interview with uh, Robert Pastor of the Council on Foreign Relations, who's the um, who was known as the father of the North American Union, because in their white papers they actually reference using culture uh, as well. You know, apart from the economic integration, like we see in NAFTA, uh, culture to bring about a North American Union. What, I mean, what are your thoughts on the World Cup coming to North America, uh, as well as this idea of a North American Union? Well, I think it's great because uh, it's too expensive for me to go to South America or to Europe uh, or to Africa or to Asia or this year's uh, World Cup and and Qatar. So uh, if it's going to be in my backyard, uh, we have in Texas. So my so the closest uh, uh, host cities for me is Monterrey, Dallas, and Houston. And uh, so I think it's great. Uh, now it was about 2016. So I've been saying this since 2016 and. I, I say it jokingly, but not really. So, you know, back in the day before Ron Paul and the 9-11 truth stuff, uh, I wasn't very, very much a 9-11 truther, but I always did kind of say like, oh, what the fuck, Building 7? Like, you know, I could take two, but not mm. that, that one. Anyway, um, you also got it. I also got into uh, Alex Jones and a lot of that North American Union and a lot, a lot of Infowars stuff. And I just remember that uh, 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 I was against the North American Union and the idea of it because it was going to blend uh, all of us together, and it and and these jurisdictions sometimes have different cultures of law, and so I was against it. So I kind of found it funny uh, when I started reading articles in 2015, 20, uh, basically where they were like, "Oh, the U.S. might have a joint bid for a World Cup with Mexico," and 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 at the time it was just with Mexico, and then it ended up being a, 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 a triple joint bid with Canada. And um, yeah, and I thought it was funny that uh, this is something that I did like from Trump was that, uh, and I follow this, is uh, when he was, uh, I don't know if you guys remember this, when he was, uh, when uh, uh, Putin gave him the, the, the soccer ball, because the, at that time it was the 2014 World Cup in Russia, I believe that's what it was. Anyway, uh, see, 2014. Anyway, he was passing the ball on because the United States had won the bid in 2018. But I remember uh, on the 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 on the eve uh, of the vote from FIFA, 
Trump did one of his bullying tactics where he kind of said, hey, I hope uh, FIFA, you know, uh, does the right thing and votes for our bid, because if not, there's going to be consequences. You know, he kind of, you know, basically said something like that jokingly, but not really, you know, you know, Trump style. And I remember when we won it, I said, oh, man, you know what, if Trump, uh, you know, that's the one thing that I remember that I really uh, admire Trump for is for using his leverage uh, for getting us the World Cup. But I also find it funny that he probably, uh, without knowing and without a lot of people knowing, uh, is is bringing a bigger step towards the North American Union than any president because under his watch, he allowed for the United States, Mexico, North and 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 uh, and Canada to basically become a, 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 a one venue for the World Cup for the world. So there's going to be, I, wouldn't, I don't know the number, millions of people coming to, the, to our country. Some will leave, some will stay, but they're coming here because of the World Cup. And I find it just uh, fascinating that uh, the North American Union didn't come from, uh, the, from, from the power halls of DC or or anything like that, it really came through through football. And that's why I put a lot of weight on football culture uh, to move, to do my agenda, but also the agenda of peace, and that's through football. So uh, yeah, you know, it's it's a joke, but not really, you know? I mean, there's gonna be a lot of people coming into the our country in 2026, and uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, that's uh, really fascinating, and I, I think I, I live near one of the one of the stadiums where they'll likely be hosting a, a match or matches in Guadalajara, um, not too far from where I live. So I'll see if I can get uh, tickets. We're going to have to take a short news update. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up? If you're listening to this ad spot, it's probably because you're halfway through the show, which means that you like what I'm doing which means that if you also want to support what I'm doing, you can check out palomaverdecbd.com. That is the official sponsor of the show. It is also a company that my wife and I run out of our home. It is a premium grade CBD company where you can get all of your CBD products that you need from tinctures, salves, uh, soft gels, pet products, um, and we have some new uh, products, which are massage oils and bath bombs. So if you are looking for any type of CBD products and also want to support the show, visit palomaverdescbd.com. Use the promo code CHINGASOS, C-H-I-N-G-A-S-O-S, for 20% off of off anything uh, off the store, off your order. So uh, please visit uh, palomaverdescbd.com. Appreciate the support. Peace. All right. We are back. I wanted to bring up the topic of uh, Mexican culture, Mexican-American culture. It's something that's fascinated me since I was a kid. You know, I, I was born in Chicago and I grew up around Mexicans. Uh, I worked alongside Mexicans. I mean, there are literally parts of you know, entire streets of Chicago that look like they have been transplanted from Mexico. Like, literally, I was amazed. I've gone down these streets and like everything's in Spanish. And it's like going down streets in Guadalajara. I can't I can't believe it. It's just so fascinating. And, you know, my 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 first girlfriend had been uh, Mexican. And, uh, you know, I, I ended 
with a Mexican wife in Mexico. So it's just uh, fascinating. And so now I'm an American Mexican. You're a Mexican American. So you like it um, spicy, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, maybe to get your thoughts uh, on Mexican culture and Mexican American culture, because I think that there are distinctions. Um, you know, Mexican Americans speak Spanglish. I'm also Croatian American. So, Croatian Americans speak Kringlish. They literally mix both uh, languages. I think that's just common. But you know, there, I mean, there are so many interesting things. Like tacos, generally in in Mexico, are smaller. You get like usually the the corner tacos. They're tiny. Uh, but I think when you eat tacos in America, Tex-Mex or whatever, they're much bigger because everything is bigger in in America. So it's like uh, uh, <laughs> Americanized. And you know, I, I don't know. I don't know where we'd start. But just you know, your sort of thoughts on. Mexican culture and Mexican American culture and, and some of the differences. Some and something something I also noticed that there are Mexican Americans that prefer the Empire. They prefer English. They they prefer America and they kind of downplay their connections to um, Mexico and and, and 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 vice versa. So I mean there's there's so many interesting things here. Yeah, so um my Mexican side comes from my parents, uh, both, uh, and I never really grew up with the idea that we had to pick a side. Uh, when there was world again World Cup games, if if USA was playing against Mexico, uh, even my parents that were from uh, Mexico, they would say that they were going for the U.S. because of the opportunities that the U.S. did for them, but. When Mexico would play against anybody else, well, obviously they go for Mexico, you know. And uh, so I never grew up with this uh, any type of tension. It was always very freestyle, in that uh, it, it all blended together for me. Especially because I'm from Texas, you know. So there's already a natural blend because, you know, uh, uh, first our state was called Texas. It was Texas y Coahuila was the original state that uh, that existed before it became whatever it is now. Um, so uh, for me, the Mexican, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, to me, it's just uh, and I and I view it through boxing because my uh, uh, my hero growing up, like everybody had a hero, you know, that wasn't like your parents or something like that was uh, Julio Cerza Chavez. And, uh, you know, he was a, a short Mexican, small vato and just somebody that uh, liked to punch up because uh, for the most part, we're we're, we're chaparritos, you know. And uh, so to me, it's always like the under the underdog story. Uh, I always kind of think that Mexican people, uh, depending on how they might uh, identify, you know, I know that there's like the the the, the Mexican people that identify more with their Spanish uh, side. There's some that are more towards their Indio side. Um, but, uh, you know, under the flag of Mexico, like, for instance, when they beat Germany in a World Cup game in the last one. You know, there was this, uh, I don't know if it's true, I think it is, I think I looked it up, where w once the, the whistle blew for victory, that uh, Mexico reported a, a small uh, earthquake because all the people were jumping, you know, so so jumping at once for, you know, uh, uh, celebrating. So that's kind of what, to me, Mexican culture is. It's kind of an underdog story of always punching up. But also, you know, uh, <laughs> Mexicanos definitely like to talk some shit. You know, again, I always bring in football stuff. So they're one of these countries that has been uh, punished and sanctioned uh, from FIFA because 
uh, you, I'm sure you know this, but like during the soccer matches, when the goalie is about to kick the goal kick, you know, uh, you know, especially like at Azteca Stadium, where there's 100,000 people, they basically start cheering, uh, uh, cheering up and building up for when he kicks it. They're basically yell out "puto," right, which is basically like a like a gay, a gay whore or something like that. There's all different ways of what "puto" means, depending on how much you're drinking and and how cool you are with who you say it with. But uh, um, so the culture too likes to be the way it wants to be. There's like the uh, uh, a lot of the upper seats and the cheap crowd seats that definitely set the tone in the country. Even though, um, you know, the FA or the or, or Central Mexico has always been the the, the power, uh, uh, the central power, um, I kind of tend to uh, kind of be more on the side of the northern uh, Mexico or Norte, you know, because um, to me, El Norte kind of represents closer to my, uh, obviously because it's closer to Texas, but you know, also in my podcast, I like to also talk about how. Uh, it's the the Mexican vote is up for grabs, especially for libertarians or liberty or whoever's more right wing or things like that, or for anybody really that is anti-state. Because man, if you listen to all these narco corridos or norteño corridos and all that, man, they're all basically saying that they're like running drugs, killing cops, killing federales. And I'm like, I always think like that right there is like the outlaw culture. But that's more northern Mexico. So, and then as far as like American, um, uh, American Mexican, um, that's just kind of what I grew up with. You know, uh, my wife doesn't speak good Spanish the way, and I actually don't speak perfect Spanish. I kind of speak it todo mucho. You know, my sister speaks it better than I do. So then I would have talked to my sister so in, in, in Spanish, and so I would have lost it some. And for sure, people that are here lose it. If the, you know, my kids, I try to talk a little bit, but I know that I don't do enough uh, to keep it alive. So uh, I think it's just generational. So here, I just I could just see the generations of the 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 past and the future where they're not as attached to that, other than probably through uh, parties and music and and food, you know. Yeah, and something you mentioned uh, earlier about your parents uh, rooting for uh, America versus Mexico that made me think about my immigrant parents who came from Yugoslavia, Croatia, and it's it, they feel the same way, I would say, as, as yours uh, regarding the U.S. And I, in some ways, I feel them now more Americanized. I feel like they feel they're more American than they are the country that they came from, you know, like like Croatia and because uh, we're living in this time of the poo-pooing of uh, America. You see so many Americans, especially this le radical left wing that saying America sucks, America's horrible. Um, but you've got this working class from, you know, former communist countries, like in my case, you know, Yugoslavia, but that adore and love America because as you said, the uh, opportunities that it gave them to live an amazing and, and, and good life. And I, th I think that's just something um, fascinating and so something for us to, to, to think about uh, as well, how, how this working class from all over the world still floods to, to the United States and uh, gets this great opportunity and uh, they're allowed to live a good life. And it's anyone from any background uh, generally. And 
I I'm be, I became became a fan recently of Mayra Flores of of Texas where you are um, who just won, and you know there's a lot of talk now of the uh, Latinos in America in as in piñata terms as as I'll put it where the political parties are trying to win as many Hispanics as as possible, but I think more Latinos are moving away from the Democratic Party and toward you know either the Republicans or other uh, parties, how do you sort of see uh, that, what, what's going on? Yeah, so the way that I see that landscape is uh, it's from the point of view as a, of an entrepreneur. I, um, I grew up as a Democrat, basically as simple as put in novella terms, you know, basically Democrats are for the poor, Republicans are for the rich. But growing up, we were poor. But... <laughs> As I got older and I started kind of getting into some of my uh, political ideas uh, and also starting to make some money, you know, uh, you start kind of saying like, well, there's also one party that kind of wants you to keep a little bit more of your money than the other. And you know what? Uh, I need my money, right? Because uh, I need to buy some uh, tickets to try to go to this World Cup tournament, right? So so I just think that generational, uh, the generations are moving, are shifting towards uh, the they're, they're going to have more uh, income that they want to protect for the next generations that are coming. You know, uh, uh, I intend for my kids uh, to have a different uh, opportunity uh, baseline than I did, still teaching them the same values that I was taught because I think uh, overall I'm, I'm okay, Vato. Uh, uh, but I would tell them uh, and show them that there might be one uh, political spectrum uh, that kind of keeps you uh, closer more to family and uh, or, or promotes more family and, uh, and and your finances towards staying within the realm of your uh, home, you know. So I just think there's more of that going on. And for it to happen at the Rio Grande Valley, that has to be a little bit uh, a, a different angle. And, and, and I would think that has to do a little bit with the the, the, the border issue. And uh, I don't know if she's going to win the reelection again. Uh, sometimes these things are like uh, they go back and forth. But um, for her to win the way she did and to be speaking out like she does, uh, uh, you know, I think it's great just to just just to punch again, like I said, punch up at the system because uh, to see a Mexican born uh, uh, um, uh, Congress person for the first time, uh, and being a Latina and, and from Texas, I think that's great. I think that uh, that uh, that that really shows anybody that, uh, you know, again, it goes back to the blending of, of these cultures that that someone like her can become a, a congressperson. So so uh, I just think that it's that. And, and and then on the immigration side, I just think that right now it's still uh, used by the Republicans to really just uh, galvanize their base to get excited about uh, scaring them about the others. So once that switches where maybe somebody convinces them like, hey, there's people out there that uh, also want lower taxes and uh, just want to have uh, their more family, their more Christian or Catholic culture, uh, you might want to try to get their votes and uh, and, and check some of what their, what, what, their, what their ideas are about. But until then, um, it's going to probably be somewhat of the same where it won't be too much of a, of a difference just it might just depend on a, on a specific candidate that might 
uh, get some people excited. Other, if if not, then it'll just be the same uh, rhetoric until uh, until there's uh, more uh, minority Latinos that actually vote in in bulk uh, and, and actually do that. But I think right now we kind of live in the shadows a little bit. Uh, but uh, you know, maybe someone like her will get some people excited enough to get involved politically, whether you're left or right. Yeah, one of the comments you made. I mean, this is just totally anecdotal and just. I had like 10 seconds to think about it. But um, I think when I growing up, when I was growing up in the States, I felt that the working class around me or that I knew, which would be mostly, you know, Croatian American or maybe Mexican. And I also grew up in a strong Jewish community um, that they were largely Republican. And I felt like the rich were the uh, Democrats or the progressive liberals. Uh, but again, that was 20, 20, 30, some uh, whatever years ago but um anyway speaking of finances and 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 money what are your thoughts on how the economy is going the inflation the gas prices the supply chains the shortages the the increased taxes carbon uh taxes um i think around the world we're start we're starting to see uh, this uh, beginning to hurt everyone's wallet what's it like in in the u.s and how bad do you think it might get um well on my front, I've always, uh, so when I said I didn't read any books, uh, uh, that wasn't 100% true. The one book that, uh, that I did, I read two books in my life, uh, Ron Paul and the Fed. And then the first one that I read that uh, after I read it, I dropped out of college immediately was uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So mm-hmm. uh, Robert Kiyosaki's book. And after that one, uh, I got into real estate. So I've always had uh, real estate holdings and those have always been um, something that I'm more uh, in tune with. So I don't get too much into the finances of like the stock market and different things like that. I mean, I know what's going on, but to me, uh, I've always liked the idea of being as close as you can to the streets. And what else uh, can you really do to get that close other than holding real estate, you know? So, so, so to me here, rent is going up. A lot of things are going up. Um, it's unfortunate for some people that can't uh, raise their incomes fast enough to keep up. Uh, sometimes I feel that I know that they'll adjust. People adjust. They'll group up together. They'll do different things. I mean, everybody tries to survive uh, the best way that they can. And um, yeah, you know, I do think that it's going to get worse uh, for some people, for some others, if they position themselves right. And this, again, goes back to... Uh, you know, uh, culturally getting into different uh, aspects of uh, finances as far as like real estate, you know, I am, uh, it might come off as bad, but you know, I'm slowly waiting, patiently waiting for the next time to the, for there to be a drop so I can try to catch some uh, foreclosure properties like I did in 09 and 010 because that was the difference maker in my life uh, for, for me and my wife to uh, be where we're at right now. So. So, you know, everybody plays the game as best as they can. Uh, uh, in my podcast, I will talk about uh, uh, real estate and investing uh, as much as I can. Hopefully one day I'll actually have Robert Kiyosaki on there uh, on the show. That would be amazing. Uh, and um, and so that's kind of my take on it is that uh, uh, I've never been a Bitcoin person. Uh, I've never kind of uh, been a... Uh, uh, put my money in the stock market. I just don't like the idea of sending my money up to New York. It seems like a far away uh, c- 
country planet uh, to be sending my money up to over there. So, so I just never liked that idea. I've just like to been able to, I like to be able to drive and see uh, my, the, the wealth uh, that I have in, in real estate. Yeah. I'm, I'm also never been a stock guy. And again, a lot of pretty much all, every single Croatian American uh, immigrant uh, that I know back in Illinois, they all have, they're all into real estate. They've all done well just purchasing real estate. It's, it's incredible. Um, do, do you have any thoughts on, you know, one of the things I freak out about most is the COVID-1984, as I call it, biosecurity state, you know, this technocracy, and I don't know how much you've looked into it, the great reset uh, agenda. And, you know, it, it seems like they want to take away our cars and force us to eat cockroaches, but, um, and inject us without end, um, and, and these crazy vaccine passports that prohibit you from working and traveling. But, uh, and, and re, you know, referring back to what you were saying about books, it's like, um, I also find very valuable and re relevant, like life experience, you know, your, your work experience, and you talk to a lot of people as well. And so you gain insights. I mean, reading a book is not the only way to gain, uh, you know, uh, an insight. But, you know, have you covered or thought about this, what's been going on with the lockdowns and Great Reset and this sort of stuff? Uh, yeah. So on the podcast, uh, uh, what I've said is that once after the two weeks uh, happened, I kind of really fast started uh, getting the feeling that it was a kind of a 9-11 style uh, reset. Uh, back when 9-11 uh, happened, you know, I would have fell into the propaganda. I would have been uh, 2001, uh, I don't know, like 19 or 20 years old. And uh, so I fell for all of that. And at the time, um, uh, uh, I believed that our government was trying to do the best that it could, but without knowing that there are hidden agendas and special interests behind it. So therefore, uh, you know, in hindsight, now I know that that wasn't the case. Um, so, so that's the way it kind of felt to me after the two week lockdown, because the first two weeks, you know, everybody kind of likes a, a little two week vacation, if you could take it, if it was forced mm -hmm. a little bit. But after that, that's kind of the way I took it. And, and yeah, I, I started, I started kind of saying, oh, you know, all these variants kind of sound like, uh, like the, 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 the different variants of, uh, of terrorist groups. And to me, it just kind of feels like a replay other than um, this time it did affect us here on the homeland. So that's probably why there is more of a pushback uh, from a different variety of people. I know now it's a little bit more clear politically wise, but not really. You know, there's lefties and righties that have different opinions on this and you can kind of get a, a feel that uh, that you know, I always kind of thought funny that uh, thought it was funny that a lot of uh, people that were anti Middle East, uh, like uh, you know, anti uh, Islam kind of, of, of uh, terrorist Islam, that that when they had their face mask on, they looked like they were like they were they were like the oppressed people, you know, with female. Like they would say, "Oh, they're oppressed because they have to wear these co these face coverings," mm -hmm. but they had their face coverings, you know. And um, so so I just kind of take it that. As long as so, man, you know it, it sucks, man. Like I wish it wasn't the way it is, but all I can do is try to just uh, protect my family and live life the best I can to make sure my kids uh, grow up without thinking that it's normal to wear a face mask. You know, uh, you know, we as soon as uh, COVID started and the restaurants were open, 
I would go out to restaurants with my kids, family, everybody. I would post pictures, uh, not to kind of be like, oh, you know, uh, look at me doing it. It was like just, just trying to kind of be like, hey, it's okay out here, you know. Uh, but also, I'm also aware that a lot of people passed away. Um, uh, a lot, we had some close people pass away that from it. And so, you know, it sucks. Uh, you know, it was probably uh, 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 something leaked out of China. Uh, probably some, right? It was probably some funding from the U.S. And, you know, it sucks. And that's what happened uh, uh, for, uh, for, for good reasons. Uh, or, you know, we're blessed to that. It wasn't a killer for like little kids as much as, you know, I mean, the next one could be, which is horrible. To, it sounds horrible and I hope it's not. But that's kind of my take is that I kind of play it round by round, just like the way I uh, see my boxing. I've always thought that if I ever returned to the U.S., the only places I would go would be either Florida or Texas uh, or maybe a state in what's known as the American Redoubt, like the Dakotas, Montana, Wyoming, and that sort of place. Do you, do you think if do you think they'll try to bring back mandates and lockdowns and and you know vaccine certificates? Um, and do you, if they do, do you think Texas is a safe place to be? That there's enough of uh, political will to sort of fight that stuff off. Um, I think there is now, just the same way that it it cannot be as easy to start a war in the Middle East, you know, that 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 whole, uh, uh, you know, brain mindset took 20 years basically to snap out of. And if they wanted to go back to the Middle East, it's going to be questioned a lot uh, harder, different, uh, different angles, because we just went through it. Uh, so I do think that it would be a lot harder for that to happen here in Texas. But it doesn't mean that it that it won't uh, probably would happen more in the in the bigger cities. They would probably push for that more. But you know what? I also kind of, you know, again, giving the benefit of the doubt, I can see why big cities would be a little bit more aggressive because people are a little bit closer to each other and interact a little bit more than rural. I mean, I'm not saying that that is why they would be, but I can understand it. But, you know, uh, but yeah, Texas definitely would uh, be a lot more. Uh, free than let's say california or new york for sure that's for sure before uh i run out of time we just got like a few minutes left um what uh are the best places to find you uh, online your your podcast and any other projects uh you'd like us to know about so you could find me uh on youtube or any uh pod uh podcast uh, uh 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 basically look up los libertinos I'm on Twitter, ellibertinos, uh, uh, and then really kind of look out for some projects that I got cooking. Uh, when I moved into the house that we live in now, which was kind of our dream home, uh, I got inspired and I wrote a story, an immigration story. So right now uh, we're barely getting into the to the level of maybe uh, trying to get that into a script and maybe do a short a, a short uh, uh, a video clip about it, and then um, also. Um, I also kind of got uh, this agenda of uh, Texas secession for World Cup victory. Uh, I built, uh, I know it sounds kind of funny, I built a little stadium in my backyard and it's basically going to be used to have fun, play uh, football with friends and family, but it's also going to be to promote uh, a World Cup Texas victory. And if uh, Texas ever uh, wins a World Cup, uh, uh, we have to party together, man. It'll be it'll be a great game, especially if it's against uh, Croatia, right? 
Yeah, that brings back memories. It was in 2014 when Croatia played Mexico, and uh, I went to work at my workplace in Guadalajara, the Tec de Monterrey, the top uh, uh, institution of, of education. And I was wearing my Croatian jersey, and everyone's looking at me like crazy. <laughs> it was like June 2014. <laughs> And uh, we ended up losing three to one. And my Mexican friends are like, you better change your, you should change your shirt. <laughs> you know, anyways, it's been, uh, I wish you the, a great success uh, on your stadium. Actually, I, I saw a photo of you. Uh, you were cutting the grass uh, on that field. Uh, anyways, Carlos, uh, great chatting with you.